Now more than ever, the industry that fuels the world needs the right people to modernize and unify a global energy platform. The transformation is both digital and cultural. Join us as we explore strategies for success in the hyper-competitive war for talent here on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, hosted by the IBM North American Oil and Gas Team and KIT. Greetings, listeners. I'm Jerry Lewis with IBM Consulting, and this is the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast. The episode you're about to listen to with an outside industry perspective on talent from Alberto de Armas, the head of HR at Cemex, a Mexico headquartered company and one of the largest cement producers in the world, was supposed to be a standard 25 or 30 minute segment. But the conversation among Alberto, Jason Duff and I was so interesting and rich, it took nearly an hour. As such, we've broken it into two parts. In part one, Alberto sets the context for Semex's customer-focused digital transformation and provides some keen insights into how you might think about your own digital transformation. Part two dives into particular questions about how Semex's talent strategy and practices had to evolve over the last five years and ends with some sage advice on what you should be thinking about as you consider your own talent strategy. We hope you enjoy this energetic and passionate discussion with Alberto de Armas from Semex. As always, links to guest LinkedIn profiles, referenced websites, and other relevant citations can be found in the show notes below the podcast description. Now, part one. Hello, my name is Jason Duff, and welcome to another episode of Energy Workforce of Tomorrow. This podcast is sponsored by Ericsson. For more on Ericsson, please go to the show notes where the website's listed. With me today, I've got my fellow colleague, Jerry. Jerry, we're going south of the border today. How are you feeling today and who have you brought today? Well, I feel great today because we have a very special guest indeed, all the way from Monterrey, Mexico, a person that I did a lot of work with back in the day, 2017 to 2020. And then, as you know, Jace fled the border, fled to the fled border it. during the pandemic. I when, know. Uh, when Trump <laughs> shut the border down, I had to make a run for the border, but worked very closely with this person good friend of mine, head of HR at Semex down in Monterrey, third largest cement producer in the world. Is that right, Alberto? Yeah, it's close. It's close. close. Something like that. Yeah. Alberto runs HR there and he's got a really great story to share with us today. But first, Alberto, can you introduce yourself to our audience? Almost felt like we should have a drum roll there before Alberto comes yeah. on. He, know, it's almost right? like coming into the ring. Hello, Alberto. Well, he's probably our most famous guest so far. You know, I have to say, like, <laughs> I must be your first guest. <laughs> so speaking of borders, I've been crossing borders most of my life. I was born in Miami of Cuban parents and lived in Puerto Rico and in Venezuela as a young man and then worked around the world, around the USA, and most recently in Mexico working for Cemex. I'm a producer of the largest in Mexico and Third largest. We always say third largest if you don't count the Chinese producers, right? Ah, right, right. <laughs> There's a little asterisk, but we're a large global producers of building materials. Okay. Well, thanks so much Happy for, to that, be here. for that introduction. Isn't it Miami? I mean, technically. Miami. Miami. Alberto. Oh. Okay. All right. Good. What okay. is Miami? Sorry. It's, what's me? Oh, Miami in terms Miami. of- Miami. Miami. Bienvenido oh, Miami. a Miami. Don't you remember the Will Smith song? I'm a Didn't Scotsman. I don't know how to do these things. Alberto, you must like, recognize the accent. Given Semex, I've got some British assets across there. I'm recognizing your accent. I'm still wondering which of the islands are you from. Okay, this is going to be a very quick <laughs> podcast if you don't get me as Scottish just now, Alberto. No, he's from he, he's from Wales, <laughs> yeah, Alberto. That's a dead that's right. the accent's a dead word for Wales. <laughs> I got that. 
<laughs> yeah. So Alberto, in your capacity as the head of HR at Semex, you know, it's near and dear to our hearts because this podcast is meant to find answers to some tough questions the uh, oil and gas and the industry industries in particular are facing with respect to talent, skills, and the next generation of workers. And so I want to set a little context for our listeners here by going back to 2017. 2017, the CEO of Semex, Fernando Gonzalez, went to Semex Day in New York at Wall Street, and he said something like, and I won't get it exactly right, we are going to be the first cement producer in the world to provide a sort of end-to-end digital experience for our customers. And we're going to be a customer experience-focused company. He told that to Wall Street, and that set in motion a chain of events that must have had a profound impact on you as the head of HR had to deal with that, and also Semex. So I just want to start by asking you, what was that like for you? What was that like for Semex? And over the next five years, getting us to today, you know, kind of how has Semex changed and evolved with respect to its talent? Great. You started with probably the most difficult question, Jerry. I thought Good. you were going to throw me some meatballs and then. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that there's a point that I think is very relevant here is that the capability of a leader to articulate a vision is really interesting. I mean, it really, or my experience has been, it comes in the form of a what, but never a how or any details. And so he ran into a couple of challenges personally. The first one was all of our operations around the world, or most of them, had some type of digital innovation going on, be it a tracking mechanisms to where's your order, be it a customer database. You know, the company's always innovating. That was frustrating because they were all individual. Each of them were on their own journeys. He was frustrated by that. And then something happens. I'm, I'm sure this is a story that most people tell it, but he tells it in such an eloquent manner. He was a iTunes guy, right? And so he'd been an iTunes guy and he's, he's you know, our CEO is a musician. He's a singer. He's, you know, he's got all these secret skills that every now and then we get to see. <laughs> he ran into a friend of his that told him that he wanted to share a playlist with him. And it was a playlist that was based on Spotify. And so he sent him the link, he signed up, and he was able to very quickly, very easily go to Spotify and play his friend's playlist. And then he became a Spotify guy. And he says, you know, first of all, the experience was amazing. This is kind of the first moment that this thing about the customer experience started showing up. He goes, the experience was amazing. And I have not gone back to iTunes, not one time. <laughs> this is a fellow that's bought all kinds of music, a big database, and he hasn't gone back. And he said immediately what went through his head is, imagine if someone went to our industry and completely changed our customer experience. Because our industry, guys, is an industry that was really based on paper still. You know, we have the concrete trucks delivering. There's a three-carbon paper. With every delivery, we could have a 3,000-meter pour, eight meters at a time, and each one of those has to be stapled to an invoice. This is crazy. So immediately, he connected the risk to the company of leaving the experience unattended. It started there. He goes, you know, customer experience, customer, what's the customer experience? And everyone, because in a big company, our company is you know, not like IBM, but it's, you know, we're about 47,000 people. So the minute that something exciting starts coming out of the CEO's office, then, you know, kind of everybody wants to take charge. No, no, we'll do it in Mexico and then we'll outsource it. We'll do it. So a lot of noise, a lot of ideas. And then, of course, there really isn't the context of the development journey ahead. 
And I think that that's really when things started getting a little dicey. So guys like Jerry showed up <laughs> with our long friendship with IBM, and they started talking about things like design thinking. I remember I went just arbitrarily was invited to a workshop on learning design thinking. And so we took a course on, it was called Agile for Executives, but it should have been called Agile for Dummies, right? It was, <laughs> but little by little, we learned, I guess, uh, what's Rumsfeld's quote of the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns, right? We started really thinking there as a group on, there's a lot of unknowns ahead. This is not even yet getting to the point of the technological stack that needs to be transferred. This is just in general. How do we pull this off? And that, of course, gave rise to, do we have the talent, right, to make that happen? And so it's a long story, actually, but it has those types of are, are the chapters. The first chapter is, okay, what does customer experience mean, right? And the second chapter is all about how do we organize all this effort globally into one effort? The third chapter is the chapter of skills and knowledge, right? And of course, the last chapter is the technology incorporating the technology in a way that works. And before I turn it back over to you, Jerry, I will say we've always had trouble with technology. It's a company that has prided itself on being, I mean, super, super cutting edge in technology. Our CEO was he graduated from Stanford and proceeded to, you know, just Go completely transform the company. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly, exactly. But the reality is that we had these big giant you know, mainframe or legacy systems that never really worked well. Every country had changed it locally so that, you know, it's a SAP version for France and it's a different SAP version for UK. Oh, and yes. The US doesn't, it's the oh, old yes. version, it's the new version. So the whole idea of thinking through the technology was also very different. So there was a lot of learning to go through. Before I go to Jerry, Alberto, if you didn't say Semex and you were talking to us, you could put oil and gas into this. I promise you, with my experience of anything from, yeah, multinational, national companies, oil field services, we've all gone through this exact same thing. And I think we as a industry are sometimes laggards. There's still so much Excel and paper left out there. But I mean, Jerry, the story that Alberto just told, you and I live this daily in terms of, you know, and there's some still companies trying to work out where they go. And you're right, technology is the last bit. It's understanding what do I need to do? How do I perform for the business? Where do I need to go? Sorry, Jerry. No, gosh. I mean, I could listen to Alberto talk for hours because one, it reminds me of so much fun that we had and also challenging problems to solve. But two, you tell the story in a very engaging way. And it's funny. I want to go just a little bit back to your background because you're not the typical senior HR leader, are you? Didn't you start in like sales? I'm actually an electrical engineer, believe it or not. Yeah. And all I remember of my electrical engineering days is I put my fingers in a socket. I'm bringing a shock <laughs> the hell out of myself. <laughs> By the way, you know, in Mexico, they're really big on titles. So I have engineer in my title and, you know, it generates like being called a doctor, right? So it's yeah. a, kind of a wonderful yeah. thing. My career has been, I started as an engineer for a few years with General Electric. And then I moved to plastics, GE Plastics. I went into sales, marketing, and I've been working in sales and marketing then for maybe almost 20 years. And then at one point, Semex said, you know, we want you in HR, which I wasn't particularly happy about. And couldn't figure out why? 
Exactly. I was suggesting, I mean, you know, what's the point? I mean, this is a soft landing. You just tell me. No, no, no. I brought it up for a reason because I think having someone with experience in the field, experience dealing with customers, understanding a bit of what everybody's going through is for me, a really important characteristic of a successful HR leader in today's world. And I think you've got that in spades, Alberto. I mean, you're charismatic, Everybody can hear it. You've got energy, passion, and gosh, if every leader in every department could be like that, if all the COOs and CFOs could be like that, coming out of the business with that kind of passion, I think that the companies would just be a lot more fun to work for and probably more effective too. You know, the, the, the biggest one closest to your model, as you said, is Exxon, Exxon Mobil, sorry. So they take people from the industry and put them into management places and look at finance and THR. It works. Like you said, you understand the business. You know what's going on. There's a passion that you've got from the business, which I can even feel Alberto coming through. For yeah, sure. it's been a great journey. And it really is a business journey, right? And when you think about it, it's not a technology journey. It's not a process journey. Really, it's about really turning the organization into a really outwardly focused, customer-based company. You know, By the way, I'll tell some IBM stories while we're at it. And so we, uh, I hope you guys oh, get ready to cut. Red I got to write, write down red the flags. flags. <laughs> One of the first efforts was to change our approach to process and technology evolution and base it on customer engagement, right? And so, you know, after learning a little bit about Agile and, you know, started this effort with some small teams, scrum teams, we went out around the world and had, uh, you know, customer sessions basically in all the continents that we're in, most of them. And we were trying to see if we were missing something because we had always had a technology person interpret the sales rep's opinion of what the customer wanted, right? We really, you know, the sales rep was the spokesman, the attorney for the customer. So in that lost potential lost in translation effort, we conducted, I don't know, Jerry, it was 4,000. I mean, really, it it was impressive. And there was one pain point, the page and, you know, just front and center, number one in every region. And so, of course, the number one insight was customers were saying, if you promise the cement on Wednesday, deliver it on Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) So we said from there, there was really two interpretations of that comment. The first one is maybe the basics aren't as well organized as we think they are, right? And the second one is what a giant opportunity with our customers to really transform the experience because they didn't know really what to ask for. They were just so limited in what they would get from their suppliers that that was this moment where we said, wow, we do this right. We're going to turn the world upside down. So you're hitting on something there, Alberto, that absolutely was a pivotal moment, sort of a inflection point, I think, in that journey where people at Semex really started to get that the customer driving the direction and being much more segment and customer oriented than product oriented, right? The the product orientation is an inward focus. It's a company focus. And the customer focus is an external focus and an outward focus. And Mm -hmm. you made the point of earlier being an outwardly focused, customer focused company. Once that mentality changed, I think that's when the ball really started to move in the right direction. And the analogy that I want to draw here for the oil and gas and energy industries is that the engineering cultures, the planning horizons, 
have all been around the production of the company, the products of the company, yep. the oil and gas coming out of the ground, the lubricants that are produced. It's never been about the customer. Yeah. The customer buys it, great, but it's yep. not been about that experience at all. And so a huge disconnect and challenge for these companies is getting all of their people to start thinking about what the customer feels and driving the product development, the digital product development in particular around those needs, as opposed to just sort of rebuilding the product digitally the same way it was done, you know, the other way, right? If you had just done a digital application, had three different forms that had to be filled out on the mobile app, it wouldn't have been particularly effective for the customer, right? And this is goes back to Fernando's aha moment with Spotify. And he would say, you know, we have a limited budget, right? What are we going to dedicate this development? Where is our focus going to be? And he was very clear. He said, you know, if we're able to transform our manufacturing process, we may be able to take, I don't know, maybe 5% of the cost out of it. Maybe, right? Because we've been, I mean, squeezing it, right? Squeezing it for, you know, most of our 115 year life, right? And so the risk of some new guy coming in with a brand new manufacturing process for cement is small. But if someone produces a beautiful customer focus, customer experience oriented platform to manage the relationship with the user of our material and gets between us and our customer, we are fried. And that really was you know, kind of the rally cry behind all this. And so then we started slowly organizing around it. And by the way, we haven't even said the word talent yet. We're still stumbling right. through the what, right? Yeah, because I think that, you know, have peers that are going through similar transformations. Most of them, I'm happy to say, later than ours. I'm surprised that, you know, some with very initial efforts now, and they're thinking about staffing and compensation models. And I said, listen, you guys are so far from worrying about that, right? <laughs> I have to tell you. Something as similar as it, as simple as this. So we're sitting around and we're talking about how to proceed. And there's a group of folks led by an IBM guy who feels that we should modularize the process and deliver sections of it as they're ready. So we'll do an order entry module. With, and there was another group that wanted end to end, right? I don't want something to track an order and then I have to call on the phone to place the order or whatever. So. It's a huge argument. So we're still in the what, right? And so organizationally, that led the company to solving probably the age-old question of which silo is this big <laughs> development program going to live in, right? So this was, you know, at the time was very painful because a lot of our most senior executives were kind of jockeying, no, no, this should be in the commercial area. Another one said, no, no, this should be in the technology area. No, this should be in the process area. So traditionally had been in the, we, we have an area called process and IT, so P and IT. So they're traditionally managed all of our big development projects. And so in this argument, our CEO said, no, 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 this project is going to be managed by me. And he became oh. the head of the digital transformation through a council with, and the council represented by all the interested parties. And I think that that was when that council was created, it was another, you know, these kind of milestones as we stumbled our way through this. That was a big one. That was a big one because those were very deep dive meetings and all of the players with the power of their functions would have to be there, answer for it. And so you couldn't go and say, well, you know, like, for example, we had an issue at the beginning with 
we call it digital confirmation. You know, we used to initially we called it available to promise, blah blah blah. But you know, we wanted to say you have to say if I promise a bag of cement will deliver on Friday, I want to be able to, I mean, reserve it and or reserve it on the supply chain somewhere. Well, if the representative of supply chain in the digital council can't talk with specifics and fundamental knowledge of supply chain, then he was not necessary. I mean, it was just it was bureaucratic meaning. And so this group over time evolved to people that actually knew the business, ran the business, had the capability of understanding the gaps, and were able to make recommendations as a council on how to move forward. Who did you look up to when you're doing this? Clearly a Semex. I mean, did you look at another company that you said, look, I really want to be like these guys? I mean, how did you drive the team forward? Because for me, that's also another, you know, a really important bit because you're creating something in your own, but actually you need to know what the end game is. And do you want to be like a Tesla? Do you want to be like a GM or, you know, was there any thought of that one at all that helped you, Alberto, in the journey? Thanks to our partnership with IBM, we met a fellow from MIT, okay, from CISR, Center yep. for Information Systems Research, Peter Wheel. Peter served as a, because it was really curious, you know, we're a company that's used to having consultants around mm-hmm. like Jerry, right? And Peter, he says, you know, I'm an educator. I'm not a consultant. And so, you know, he really was honest, brutally honest. And he became this independent connection between Semex and its aspirations because there really was no one at the time from the B2B space that had really proceeded. I mean, to this day, we're always surprised when MIT invites us to participate in events and tell the story. I mean, we're in books at MIT written by the scissor. And, you know, very proud of that, by the way. But it's, you know, when you're, when you're in the middle of it, you, you know, there's a saying in Mexico of a, a prophet from his home city, nobody respects you, right? <laughs> so, but there really wasn't a company per se that we looked at as our model, but Peter helped to kind of articulate that ambition for us together with our friends from IBM. We hope you enjoyed the first part of this two-part podcast, which covered the Semex digital transformation story. The second part covers how Semex had to shift its talent strategy as its digital transformation progressed. You won't want to miss it. Join us again next week on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.